Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little background information. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, a city located in southern Greece, west of Athens. You can show my first picture. Paul visited Corinth on his second and third missionary trip. Major seaport city there at the green dot, full of many people from many different cultures. He wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians around the same time. Bible scholars believe between 55 and 56 AD. If you look on the map here, the red dot, Ephesus, is where he wrote 1 Corinthians. And the yellow dot, Macedonia, is where they believe he wrote this letter, 2 Corinthians. So he was a good 400 miles away from Corinth when he wrote these letters. And you can read all about Paul's missionary journeys through the second half of the book of Acts. All right, amen. We're going to start at verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, open our eyes to your word today. Give us divine revelation and insight. Speak to us today, Lord. We're listening. Father, we thank you for how you're moving in our service. Pray for your anointing now, Lord, that I could step out of the way, Lord, and let your Holy Spirit speak and minister, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Praise God. My sermon title today is Who Am I? Who am I? What type of person are you? How would you describe yourself? How would others describe you? How do others see you? 
I did dozens of interviews when I worked over at Inspiria, and one of my questions was, describe yourself in three words. They would search for words to answer that question, who am I? Are you introverted or extroverted? Are you an organized planner or are you more spontaneous? Are you a clean freak or are you a little bit more on the messy side? Do you prefer the ocean or do you prefer the mountains? Are you an early bird or are you a night owl? Do you prefer to read the book or watch the movie? Are you a Jeopardy person or are you more of a Wheel of Fortune person? The way you answer the question, who am I, answers another one. What is my identity? You see, the topic of identity is extremely important in life. Maybe more now today than we've ever seen. Your identity gives you significance. It gives you meaning. It's a sense of self, a sense of worth. Our identity refers to how we define ourselves. One of my other interview questions was, so tell me about yourself. When someone asks you that, what do you say? Your answer will reflect how you define yourself. While our identity develops over our lifetime, during the stage of life called adolescence, the teen years is when it really hits the launching pad. Our search for our identity really begins. It's a key developmental task. And as you begin to figure out how you fit into this world, there are so many factors that shape how you form your identity. Nature versus nurture. There's biological factors. There's un environmental factors. Our identity is found in so many things. Sometimes we cannot choose some of those factors. I was born in February in 1975 in New Jersey, white, male, adopted. I was named Kenny. These are parts of my identity, of who I am, that we do not get to choose. I did not get to choose those things. They were chosen for me. But these, there are also other parts of our identity shaped by things we do choose. Your hobbies, sports, art, music, cooking, the things you enjoy doing. Your career, your job shapes your identity. Some people will work a career for 40 years and then they retire and they experience something known as identity crisis because so much of who they were was wrapped up in what they were doing. And then they now begin to look for a new identity and try to find themselves once again. You see, your identity is also shaped by your marital status. If you have children or not, it's shaped by your values, the things that are priorities to you, like being pro-life or supporting human trafficking, things that are of great value. And there are countless causes you can support, and our identity can be found even on the back of cars. You can show my next picture. <laughs> Bumper stickers. Boy, look at this one. That car is covered. I think maybe there's multiple personalities going on there. There's a, there's a lot going on. But our identity can be, just be expressed in uh, also how uh, our appearance, like how we express ourselves. 
also is a clue to our identity and how we dress, our style, our personality, how we talk, how you spend your time, 168 hours in a week. It's normal for us to identify with someone or something. It makes us feel connected. It makes us feel like we belong to something. People like to identify with their nationalities and even have the flags of their nationality, favorite sports teams, uh, places where they were born and raised. And as we're seeing today, people can also form their identity by things they're being taught. And as I mentioned last week, public schools are now required to teach gender identity to kids in kindergarten. The same age, they're just trying to learn how to tie their shoe. What do you think the fruit of that is going to be? Please be in prayer for people who are struggling with gender identity. Satan is the author of confusion. And these kids are going to be so confused. We need to have compassionate people ready to help the people that we see that are affected by this, that are deceived by this. And as a church, we, we really need to be prepared because in the future we're going to have children and people who have just been caught up in all this. And we need to be ready. We need to be able to just love them unconditionally and not judge them and try to help lead them to Christ so they can learn what their true identity is. Amen? One of the most incredible stories in the Bible that illustrates finding our identity in Christ can be found in the life of Paul. And in our passage today, we're going to take a glimpse into this. Let's start at verse 11. In the King James, we read here, he says, fearful responsibility, but in the King James, the terror of God. Similar wording we saw last week in Paul's letter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Knowing the wrath of God is being stored up for the coming of the Lord, Paul feels a responsibility to share the truth. With Jesus, we're delivered from that terror. The message here Paul is saying is that Jesus delivered me, and he can deliver you too. Remember, Paul had a dramatic, radical conversion. He was like a bounty hunter, persecuting Christians, chasing after them. And here he's letting them know about his sincerity. And why would he and all the disciples be willing to suffer and die the way they did? Because... They witnessed the truth. They lived it. They knew the truth that Jesus was the Son of God. You see, they had an encounter. They experienced it. That's why they were all in. Every one of them till the very end. That speaks volumes. If he wasn't who he said he was, they had plenty of time and opportunity to take off and change direction. But they didn't. They followed him. They were serious about following him. They were completely all in. In Acts 19, it says, they became known among unbelievers as people of the way because they had chosen to walk a different path in life. They went on the way. They had identified themselves totally with Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. You see, their identity was tied together in how they lived. Let's look at verse 12. Paul here is trying to say, 
you know, I'm not trying to brag here. He wants to give God all the glory. In this verse, Paul is highlighting here the inner is more important than the outer. People can spend a lot of time trying to make something look spectacular or even themselves. Sometimes the outer is just completely different than what's going on on the inside. The issue of the heart, Paul is saying here, is so much more important to have a sincere heart. And I pray may all of our ministries forever be ministries where we're always flowing from a sincere heart. You know, when we worship, when we see our worship team leading us in worship, that comes from a sincere heart. You know, Ed brought such a great word this morning on pride. You know, we don't want to be, we don't want the spotlight on us. It's an audience of one. And everything that we do, every ministry, should always be coming from a sincere heart, which leads us to the next verse, in verse 13. If it seems like we're crazy, he's saying, in the King James, it says, beside ourselves. And they're watching Paul going through all this suffering and persecution. He was beaten and thrown in jail. And they may be thinking, this guy is crazy going through all this stuff. But he wants it to be very clear that he is of sound mind. And he wants God to get all the glory for his ministry. He wants to boast in the Lord and not himself. Verses 14 and 15. Paul has been transformed by the love of Christ Some of you sitting here today and watching from home have also had a radical transformation in your life, your old self to who you are today, like two completely different people. And when people hear that you're in church, they were, if they haven't seen you in a while, they might just can't believe it. They're like, so-and-so? Are you you sure? You mean so-and-so goes to your church? They're just blown away because of how they used to know you in your old life. And you see, Christ's love has touched Paul in such a way here. He's sharing. He, he's just now so compelled to do what he does because of how God has touched his heart. You know, last week our sermon title was Let It Echo. And you know, and Paul wrote about loving deeds, that labor of love. Well, when we have experienced the love of Christ, you cannot contain it. It's meant for sharing. And Christ's love in us compels us to live for Christ, to unconditionally love that agape love that we get filled with, to serve the people that God places around us. You see, the church is in the business of loving people, loving people. Verse 16, a human point of view he touches on here. We stopped evaluating others with a human point of view. What's that? A human point of view is just looking at what's visible in the visible. But their encounter with Jesus has changed them. They have been eyewitnesses to miracle after miracle after miracle, and it's changed them. They now walk by faith and not by sight. And we can view other people in our life with our lens. When we point out people's flaws and we can criticize them and pick at this and pick at that, or we can view people with a faith lens. Here's a takeaway for today. See people the way God sees them, as his child whom he loves. 
Don't be so quick to judge someone because God loves that person just as much as he loves you. All right, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new life has begun. Okay, we're going to park here on this verse. I want to take a deeper dive into our identity in Christ. And here we read, this means that anyone, not certain people, not randomly selected people, anyone who chooses to accept Jesus, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. One of our songs this morning, you know, who do I belong to? Boy, we belong to Jesus. The old is gone, the new life has begun. And that is a theme that we read in some of other Paul's letters. Ephesians 4, throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Also in Colossians 3, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off the old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The old life, Paul's saying, we got to throw it off. Just strip it off. Get rid of it. The old sinful nature, following the desires of the flesh. And put on the new nature. Be renewed to become more like him. I have a cool, I like to get some Christian t-shirts. On the front it says, less of me and more of you on the back. And that's what Paul's saying here. Anyone who belongs to him is a new person. This is a promise for anyone, not just selected people, anyone. When you're saved, you are forgiven. Amen? And you begin a new life. A new life has begun. Paul's life is a demonstration of that. He had an extreme makeover. Do you ever watch any of those extreme makeovers on TV when they take the house and they flip it? Or even people themselves get extreme makeovers. They'll take someone that hasn't like gotten a haircut in 50 years and they like are wearing, they were still wearing the same clothes they wore two decades ago. And then they have this extreme makeover and they walk in the room and nobody recognizes them. They're like, whoa, look at that. Who are you? Well, that's what Paul had. Paul had an extreme makeover completely different on the inside. The inside then changes us on the outside. You see, when we came to Christ, we got a makeover as well. And for some of you, it was pretty extreme, maybe more extreme than others. But in Acts 9, after his road on Damascus experience, God chooses Ananias to go and pray for him. But listen to this. Ananias responds, But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. He's like, you're asking me to do what? This guy's bad news. But he trusts God. He goes, he prays, and when he does, Paul regains his sight, and he's baptized. And later in that chapter, we read, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. They were like, yeah, right. I know this guy. I know this guy. There's no way that he has changed. And anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. He goes, he was going by his Hebrew name, Saul, and then 
he changed and chose to go by his Roman name, Paul, which means little or small or humble. So his life had changed. So he wanted to use a different name. So Christ now has just become greater in his life. He wanted to, his name to reflect that. Did you ever notice in Scripture how God sometimes changes names? Boy, the names have such significance in the Bible. And name changes are seen throughout the Bible. A significant factor in the identity change is when the name has changed. Abram, exalted father, becomes Abraham, father to many nations. They looked at themselves one way, but God told them, this is who you really are. When their name changed, there was a change in the way they thought and a change in the way they lived. You see, your thinking, your actions, what you do, follow your identity. When we really understand our identity in Christ, who we are in him, it changes the way you think and live. And then there are times when you have the right name, but you need a little wake-up call. You need someone to call it out. This happened to Gideon. His name in Hebrew means warrior. And when you go to Judges 6, we find this warrior hiding from the Midianites. He's so afraid that standing, then instead of taking the wheat to the threshing floor to separate the chaff from it, where he would be in a wide open, where people would see him, he's doing that down in a wine press where nobody could see him. He was in fear, but there was a warrior inside of him. And then you read this in Judges 6. Then one day, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then the NLT, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Gideon was not living out his name as a warrior. His true identity was dormant, like a sleeping giant. Well, here was his wake-up call. God sent this angel down to wake him up. He received it, and he responded to it. When he finally saw himself the way God saw him, he went on to deliver the Israelites, an entire nation. Wow. When you understand your identity in Christ and you see yourself the way God sees you, it changes your life and it'll impact the lives of the people around you. We need to align ourselves to the truth of who we are in Christ. Who God called you to be. Parents, grandparents, call out the identity in your kids and your grandkids. Help them see who they are in Christ. Amen? Jump to verse 20 here. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Ask your neighbor, who am I? You are an ambassador for Christ. Ambassadors serve countries all around the world. The United States of America has 189 ambassadors representing our country. The reputation of our country is upon them. It's reflected in the things they say and do. And as an ambassador, they communicate the message of our country. 
In a similar way, as Christ's ambassadors, we say what we've been commissioned to say and the message of God that we have to share, which is come back to God, be reconciled. And what we see in verse 21, he sent his only son to die for you. Be reconciled, be justified, be made right in Christ. So what does all this mean? What does it mean to have an identity in Christ? Your identity is tied to Christ as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. When people say they're a Christian, sometimes it's just in title and name. But it's so much more than that. Because you love Jesus, your life echoes his love. Loving people through your loving deeds, the way you live your life is so much of your identity as your name is. Don't just be a Christian in title only. Our true identity is found in the Word of God. Be a Christian also by being a doer, by putting your faith in action. Faith produces something. It produces action. And as we understand who we are in Christ, as we identify with Christ as a child of God, the child of the Most High, living God, it will change the way you think and live. It will change the way you are as a husband or a wife. It'll change the way you are as a parent, as a mother or a father. You see, there's a strong connection between how you think and how you feel and act. You see, the way you identify yourself influences your behavior. In the past, I've shared how what you let into the windows of your soul, your eyes and ears, shape the person you become. You see, what you let in, it impacts your thoughts, how you think. And then how you think impacts your emotions, how you feel, and how you feel impacts your will, the decisions you make. And your will impacts your behavior, what you do. Your behaviors become habits, patterns, and that forms your character, the person you become. It's all linked together. Your identity has an enormous impact on how you live life on who you are. You know, as a young child, I was very insecure, rejected. I just felt so rejected. Zero confidence. Defeated. The first sport I really got into was soccer. That became my favorite sport. But as a kid, before I even stepped one foot on the soccer field, what played through my mind was, you stink. You're going to mess up every play. You're going to miss the ball. You're, you lost. There's no way you can do this. You're not good enough. I didn't even step one foot on the field yet. And that's what was playing through my mind. Because I identified myself as defeated. I thought like a defeated person. I already thought I lost before I went out there. You see, my identity was connected to my thinking. 
And because I identified myself that way, I thought like that. And mostly everything I did. When my dad, my earthly father, started to speak life into me, I've shared with you, if anyone can, can, can. What happened was my identity, the way I saw myself, began to change. Eventually, before I stepped one foot on the soccer field, I already knew we were going to win. I already knew we could do it. But it was time of hearing that over and over where I began to renew my mind and renew my identity. When I got saved, again, my identity, how I saw myself changed because now I was hearing what my Heavenly Father was saying to me. It spoke again life into me. Now I like to say, if anyone can, God can. I have become a new person in Christ. My identity received a makeover, a transformation. In closing, listen. There is significant application for you today with this. You see, when the gospel enters the windows of your soul, your eyes and ears, something changes within you, on the inside of you. You cannot stay the same. We receive it, and we respond to it. When the word of the Lord comes, I like to take a moment just to receive it so we can respond to it. Listen, if you see yourself as sick, and you let that become your identity, that you are, my identity is a sick person, what's going to happen is you will begin to think like a sick person. If you see yourself as defeated, you will begin to think like a defeated person. But as we begin to align our identity with the truth, we begin to identify ourselves as a victorious person. We begin to think like a victorious person. We begin to identify and see ourselves as a healed person as we let the word of truth enter into us. Listen, our Healing University class Sunday evenings, it is awesome. And amen. And we get to hear some great speakers and every single Sunday night there's an amazing testimony of how people were just miraculously healed. You know, miracles weren't just for Bible times. Miracles are happening today. Amen? Amen. And the speaker last Sunday was sharing part of her testimony. And she shared this. She shared that she had epilepsy 13 years. It just became a part of her identity. And as that, it, she began to think like a sick person. She decided to go to a Bible study. It happened to be a charismatic ladies' Bible study. And as she was there, the lady started to pray, and she started to hear them pray in their prayer language, and she heard people praying in tongues, and she, at that moment, never had really experienced that, but she began to hear God speak to her, saying, you can be healed of epilepsy if you choose to receive it. Deuteronomy 30, I set before you blessings and cursings. Choose life. When she heard that, she wasn't sure how to respond to it because it never happened in her life before. 
And God told her, when you're ready, turn epilepsy off. She had never heard anything like this before. She didn't want to tell anyone because she thought they would think she was crazy. God was telling her she had authority over that. She didn't understand it at first, but decided to respond in faith. And when she did, her identity changed from being a sick person to a healthy person. As soon as she did that, she said, something clicked on the inside of me. Something was different on the inside of me. That day, going forward, she said uh, it was like a switch was flipped on the inside of me. In her mind, she turned epilepsy off. She placed the word of God over her thoughts, over how she felt. And in her mind, she was now a healed person. She began to think like a healed person. She started to plan again, have peace again, to live again. And then she said, that was 15 years ago, and I haven't had a seizure since. You see, she had an encounter with the living God. Those words began to stir inside of her. When we hear testimonies of how God is moving in people's lives, it begins to stir in you. When you just hear, like, miraculous things happening, it's like, wow. It's like evidence, proof that he is real, that he is alive, a living God, a miraculous working God. And then you begin to have a confident expectation because your faith begins to rise. So how do you think about yourself? How do you see yourself? The way you answer that question will determine the direction of your life. Listen, you have a choice to make. The word that came this morning, you have a choice to make to see yourself the way Satan sees you, the king of lies, the king of deception. He wants you to see yourself a certain way, as unlovable, defeated, sick, powerless, weak, insecure, lost, unforgiven, that you're not good enough, abandoned, alone, rejected, broken, afraid, hopeless, a failure, a mistake, worthless, a mess. Lies, lies, and more lies. Tell your neighbor the devil is trying to give you a fake ID. You are not what he says you are. That's fake news. Satan wants to stop you from realizing your true identity in Christ. He's working overtime to do that any way he can. Why? Why is that so important for him to do? Because your identity is connected to your purpose and your calling. You can see yourself and define yourself like that, or you can see yourself 
and identify yourself the way God sees you. His word reveals the truth about who you are. What truth, you may ask? That you are a child of the most high living God. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are made in the image of God. That you are more than a conqueror. That no weapon formed against you will prosper. That greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. That you are above and not beneath. That you are the head and not the tail. That you are blessed and not cursed. That you have power, love, and a sound mind. That you have purpose and direction. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. That you can do all things through Christ. That you are saved. That you are redeemed and forgiven. That your name is written in the book of life. That you are adopted into the family of God. That by his stripes you are healed and made whole. That you are loved. That God's thoughts of you outnumber the grains of the sand. That you are loved. That you are the apple of his eye. That you are precious to him. That he gave his son his life for you. That you are valuable. That you are qualified. That you are royal priesthood. That you are chosen by the creator. That you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That you are strong and courageous. That you are an overcomer. That God has prepared good works for you to do in advance. That you are a new creation in Christ. That you are who God says you are. Amen? Amen. Amen. That is who God says you are. Do you know that? Know it here, but know it here. Know it in your heart, the very center of who you are, the core of who you are. Here's a takeaway, that your identity is received, not achieved. Everything that I just read to you, the truth of who God says you are, that's received. You don't have to earn that. Receive it. Respond to it. Just like Melinda was saying, awareness, you're receiving it. There's a, a responsibility, an awareness of it, and you're responding. Respond to the truth of God's word. Be the person God created you to be. This is life-changing. When you bring your life into alignment of how God sees you, in Christ, that's where our identity should be. Where's your identity? Ask yourself, who am I? How do you answer that question? Is it in the truth of what I just shared with you? Or is it in something else? Something from the king of lies. Something that he tried to use somebody to say something about you, of who he wants you to be. Anchor it into the truth. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning?
you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's give him a shout of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen, we don't want to close our service without giving you or watching from home an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life or to rededicate your life to him. Maybe you got off track and took a detour. It's time to come back. Maybe you heard a lie someone told you and it just sent you off distance somewhere. God is calling you back. Come home. The prodigal son's story is his arms, he's out watching and waiting with the arms open wide. I believe God is knocking on the door of someone's heart today. And this time is for you to just rededicate your life to him. Or if you've never made that decision, to make that decision today. Thank you, Lord. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in life. To know where you'll spend eternity. There's only two addresses available. So if that's you today, if you know your life is not right, you know you're out of alignment, that the way you see yourself is not aligned to the truth of God's word. It's aligned to lies. And you're ready to come back to God to become a new person. What we read today, anyone, anyone that comes to Christ is a new person. You're ready. You're saying, Pastor, can I am ready to become a new person? I want my identity to be in Christ, not in this other stuff that this life has to offer. There's nothing in this life that will satisfy you like God can. You'll always have a void. There's always going to be an empty spot because it's a reserved seat that only he can fill. So if that's you today, we're going to pray right now. And I invite all of you just to repeat with me. Let's just make a reaffirmation to what we believe this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today because I need a savior. I cannot save myself. I need you, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were resurrected on the third day. I believe that you sit at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that my name is written in the book of life. Thank you for forgiving me of every sin I've ever committed. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I repent before you. Help me from this day forward to live a life for you. Give me a new identity. An identity in Christ. 
I am saved and I am forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. If that was your first time praying that prayer or a rededication, we'd love to keep praying for you. Let us know that you made that decision today. And we have a great team of prayer warriors here who will lift you up and your family, your loved ones in prayer to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Hey, tonight, uh, actually, let me start with this afternoon. Don't forget the Constitution class. That starts right after in uh, the new nursery, back to my right. It's also prayer and healing rooms. Last room on my right, down this hallway, if you need prayer for something, this is your opportunity. Receive some prayer and leave here changed today. Tonight, we're going to have our Healing University class. You can also join us on Zoom for that. Youth group tonight. Lots of great things going on here at Fairton for your families. Get plugged in. Get connected. Let God use the gifts. Exercise the gifts that he's given to you. Please remember to stop by and greet Melinda. Her brother Bob's here. Just let them know how much you love them. Uh, Next to the tithe box there, there's an opportunity for you to sow a seed into that ministry. And I love you guys. Boy, I love you. I pray God will bless you this week. Uh, We're going to dismiss by our sections like we normally do. And I dismiss you. Have a blessed, blessed week. Amen? Amen? Amen. God bless you.